listening to Coaching Presence, the podcast that will help you become a better coach. I'm Mariana Wright, and it's my pleasure to introduce some truly inspirational guests to share their learning with you. Welcome to Karen White and Sharon Jansen. I'm always on, and I've been sorting out vet, vet payments to Lesotho, bank details, while preparing to stream live and catching up with Sharon and Karen. So I think I'm a, a case in point for why this conversation is important today. Well, let's begin with, it's good to be able to be here, to make the time, just to talk about something that seems to be um, very much a part of, uh, I don't want to call it the new world of work because I think that's a hackneyed phrase, but it does seem to be everyone's new reality for now. And um, I think just the opportunity to just bounce some things around, um, uh, around a shared experience and some possibilities of how we work with this mm. as coaches. That's, that's what I like about our opportunity this morning. Thanks, Sharon. Hmm. I think um, anything that gives us the opportunity to pause and have conversations that allow for reflection, allow us to potentially change the course of our trajectory um, and our prior conversation and this conversation for me is a wonderful opportunity as much as we're offering something to the people who are listening or who are going to listen to this it's an opportunity for us to do the same to kind of pause and reflect so I'm so looking forward to the conversation and thank you Mary Anna for making it a reality as you do always it's always a, no it's always a pleasure it's, it's always a, a pleasure for me as well it's just and I, I feel that um it's useful personally, and I'm hoping it's useful for other people. Mm. And it feels like um, it is always on question, it's always on sustainable question, was becoming an issue before the pandemic, but it feels like it's getting to a crisis is possibly the wrong word, but it's it's becoming more urge, a more urgent question to consider now. And because I'm noticing it among the clients I'm working with, and I think one of the triggers is this wonderful technology, which is enable, enabling us to have conversations like this and to share them out in the world, is also putting pressure on us to be on all the time. Um, I have an example for a client that I'm working with who's a very senior leader in an international tech company and came to me the other day talking about how she's noticing that she's getting very sensitive around feedback and it's not really in her character. And through coaching, we worked out that actually she's exhausted. She's got a young child who's in and out of crash because the crash keeps having to shut because of the pandemic. She's responding to emails at midnight from her manager saying, why are you responding to emails? It's like, well, why are you sending them? It's this constant merge home life pressure. And the outcome is that she's feeling that she's less resilient around feedback. But it took a bit of coaching to unpack what was going on there. And I think that's just a, a kind of tiny taste of the kind of stuff that's going on for people. Mm. Where are you with the question of is always unsustainable? Um, 
certainly for me, I think picking up on what you were saying, Mary Anna, in a way um, is always unsustainable, was present before the whole COVID-19 hit. And it's for me, it's an ongoing balance personally in terms of, because I love my work and I love what I do. And so it's easy for me to, because of technology, to stay on a lot of the time. And I made a very conscious and deliberate decision when COVID came along to not be always on. So things that I could automatically move online, I opted not to. And I still have habits that keep me always on. So, <laughs> so, so that's my um, confession for the day. <laughs> um, so it's, it's an ongoing inquiry. I do find, though, that I've managed, because I was quite deliberate and intentional, I certainly am not feeling as tired as I think I would have had COVID actually not hit. So that's for me personally. And, and picking up on what you were saying about your clients, I am aware that clients are feeling exhausted because of, in a way, their, their, their bubbles of their lives coalescing and, and also feeling the pressure to stay employed as a starting point. I mean, that's kind of, so there's some basic needs um, that are driving some of their behavior. So how do I make a difference? How do I be relevant? all of those sorts of things and how to help them really be intentional um, about what they do and don't do. I'm, I'm getting a little bit about um, a feeling that people are trying to prove their worth because they're not in the office with one another. They're not there sitting at their desks being very obvious that they're working because they're there and, you know, they're chatting with their colleagues about what they're up to and everything. So there's a need to demonstrate that they're working in some way. I know there's been a rise in surveillance, but there's a big, uh, with some companies putting in place ways of checking in about whether people are working or not. But for most of my clients, it's a, a feeling that they need to prove themselves somehow so that they're constantly responding to emails and pings. And um, they aren't simple things like just logging off to do a piece of writing or a project. They're kind of there being distracted because they want to always appear to be working. Mm. Mm. We had a question that we thought would be considered about what have we done to change things? So uh, I'm, I'm happy to come in here um, and, and really just to, you know, I think you've captured it quite well for, for how you're managing with it, but I, um, I'm, I'm usually pretty good with boundaries. Um, when I decided that I was going to work only four days a week and then three days a week. Um, and I found myself being available on days that I wouldn't normally work. Um, um, and often asking myself, on what basis did I make that decision? And it was about... It was about... Um, being there for my clients. Well, you know, that was my story, I guess. But I, I, um, I don't think I have been as dramatically affected as someone who is working in the corporate environment because we are our own bosses. 
um, there's no surveillance happening with us. But it, it took at least four or five months before I actually decided to have a break, a screen break. I mean, we couldn't go anywhere. You could only go and visit your garden um, because there was no travel allowed in the country, no interprovincial travel. You could only stay in your own environment. So it's, it's interesting as things open up how we've been, we've been conditioned to some extent that there's almost a reluctance to, to start doing other things. I guess that's the big experiment, isn't it? How conditioning affects us. But what I particularly want, wanted to say here, and I'm not answering your question yet, Mariana, um, I wanted to say this, and it was something that Karen alluded to earlier, how in lockdown people, initially the response was, um, you know, I'm getting a cut in my pay, so I really better work much harder and be available because, you know, I don't want to lose my job. Um, and I have, from chatting with coaches, there's definitely a drop-off in coaching work. And so... I guess the, that eternal question, what are coaches prepared to do? Or what, are, what are we prepared to do in order to get work? Yeah. Great question. What are we prepared to do? So uh, there's no doubt that um, certainly I, I can't speak for, for where you are, your coaching market, but in South Africa, I've heard from a couple of big corporates that one of the first things they cut is executive coaching because it's so expensive, um, which means that coaches are looking around for work. Many, many coaches will look around for work. So I can really only speak for myself to say that some of my business has dropped off. And I'm also acutely aware it's not the first time it's happened. It's almost seasonal and cyclical. And I have learned in 15 years to say, well, what do I do with the time that's been given to me? How do I use that for, for other things? Because now it starts to slowly pick up again. Um, I believe for me, the only way I cannot be always on is to declare that I am not always on and to know what that means for me. So what are my boundaries? What time do I start? What time do I finish? What time do I take a break? I have to actually articulate that to myself before I can articulate it to anyone else. Because if I don't have clarity, I can't give that clarity to anyone else. I find that there's a, a, a rationalization that happens with some of the clients I've been talking to. Oh, well, I really like to start the day with an empty inbox is one of the things. Hmm. So that's that's the justification for checking email really late at night and then being worried by it and dealing with it and all of that. Um, so it's the, okay, well, what's more important, being worried by it or by having the empty inbox? And the other question is, you know, will the sky really fall in if someone's emailed you something and you haven't responded immediately? You know, I can understand this concern if we were, you know, on call to do urgent brain surgery or something but actually it's we're not most of us it's not life and death it's it's a feeling a, a, 
pressure we're putting on ourselves. We were going to, I'm, we've been chatting a bit and I'm conscious of our time. And we were going to, um, Karen was going to, we were going to talk about the, the role of language in all of this. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And um, I was, uh, as you were talking, uh, Mary Anna, I was thinking about that because what we don't, what we're not taught about language. So we go to school and we learn a lot, learn about grammar and spelling and punctuation and all those good things, which are important um, as we're learning, as we get older and the younger generation are using it less and less. <laughs> uh, and we're not really taught about what happens with language and what we are doing with language. Um, and one way of thinking about language is that we are continuously generating reality in how we, and I'm going to use this word deliberately, employ language. Um, you know, so the, the, the client who, for example, rationalizes, well, I want an, an empty inbox and therefore they are generating a reality for themselves in what they're saying to themselves and probably what they're saying to other people, which means that they're going to probably turn off their computer if they turn it off at all very late and start very early. And, and we're, we're often not aware of how we are generating reality. And there's a guy who's sort of plays in this, in this field and he says, we speak ourselves into the world. And I absolutely love that. Mm. And so how, what are we speaking ourselves into and how are we doing that? And so, um, I mean, Mary Anna and Sharon, you'll know this is one key area of the work that I do is how to help people become more aware of how they are using language. So what's our self-talk? You know, the, the worthiness that you spoke about, Mary Anna. Sneakily and subtly in the background, we might have a little bit of a script going on that I'm not really worthy. So if I prove myself and if I keep proving myself, then, then people will see what I'm doing. And it's actually not people seeing what we're doing, it's how we're feeling about ourselves because that's driving what we will and won't do. So, so that self-talk is really important and we're always talking to ourselves and we're always listening to ourselves. And starting to become aware of that is really um, a starting place. And as coaches, we can help our, our, our clients do that as well. Just like you, you spoke about the client that you had and helping, um, it was a her, huh? Mm. Helping her explore what was really going on for her. And we often don't, even in, in relation to language, we don't often stop and think, what's, what is really important to me? What is it that really matters to me? We just kind of keep generating a reality for ourselves that we say we don't want. So um, are you all right for me? There, there are a couple of other areas that I think are, can be so helpful in language. Can I keep going for a couple of yeah, minutes? Yeah, I do. Okay. So there's, there's that self-talk, how we listening, how we listen to ourselves, how we listen to what others say about us and whether we take that on or not. Do we treat it as their opinion or do we treat it as fact? And then I think an area that is incredibly helpful, and this has to do with how we manage our time, is how able are we to ask other people for assistance? How able are we to say, 
you know, I know you want me to do this. I'm not able to do this. Could we ask Joe, for example? Let's make a request of Joe. Or I'm noticing mm-hmm. that I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and I'm drowning and I don't have time. Let me actually make contact with Mary Anna and say, you know, there's a contract that I've got to, that that I've committed to. I don't want to do it anymore. Would you like to get involved in it? So that's that's one way we can very easily generate reality. And I mean, I've learned so much where I will ask colleagues now to do things that I would have automatically done in the past. So I make requests with no expectations that people are going to say yes, but recognizing that I am legitimate, I am worthy enough to make a request to link it to that worthiness. And other people are worthy enough to say yes or no. So there's there's a respect and a reciprocal um, relationship aspect that's very important. And then how often when we are asked to do something, and I think this is so applicable in organizational life, leaders will make requests of other leaders. And how able are we to notice that we are able to say yes or no, or say yes, I can do this part, and no, I can't do this part. Because each of those acts, we call them basic linguistic acts, so making requests is a basic linguistic act. Saying yes is a commitment. Saying no is a response to a request. Or coming back and saying, look, I can't do this part, but I can do that part. All of that informs how we spend our time and what we do and don't do with our lives. You know, and and a key question I'll sometimes ask clients is whose life are you living? And are you happy with that? Because so often people are organized to just say yes. And I think particularly in the world today with basic concerns about employment, this tendency to say yes to everything. And then, and you're shaping your life when you say yes. And you, you can actually have more choice as can each of us. So let me let me stop there and, and see what that sparked for, for both of you and uh, anything you'd like to add. Something sparked for me around how people create their identity through this. You know, there's people that suddenly become the walking institutional memory. Oh, you know, go to so-and-so if you need to question us because they know this person is the person that will respond at midnight. And then suddenly, they, they become known as the person that knows the stuff that responds and is helpful. And so they get swamped with the, the, the request for information. And a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, the, the, the phase that children have where they're asking all the questions, it, it does actually infantilize people as well, I think, to be this completely responsive all the time, kind of, oh, I'll just, my work's not as important, I'll respond and answer. Um, yeah. I think that knowing the stuff about how things are done and what things happen and what's important for an organization is probably going to become more key a way of storing that without it being stored in the old timers heads when we have new new people starting in in an organization and they're being inducted virtually they've never actually been in the office they've never actually met physically some of the people you know suddenly finding someone that is the the key to all the information the helpful person the responsive person is going to you know, probably add to some of this stuff. And I think our response to the request is key to this. It's uh, probably uh, something along the lines of, I know that you're new to the organization. Let me let me show you how to find that out <laughs> or something. <laughs> or, 
you know, I don't know, but there's probably a more productive way. I know I had a tech question and the person responded it by sending me a little Loom video showing me how to do it next time. I thought that was really, because it wasn't saying no, it was a yes and. Yes, beautiful. Set me up for adulthood. I didn't need to ask the question again. Sorry. I think what you've you've hit on is is a very important point, and that is that it's not as simple as saying yes or no. There can be such a strong link to our identity and our reputation and things that do matter deeply to us. So being able to recognize that and factor that in is important. Yeah, what it triggered for me and what I'd just like to add in is that is the other thing, and that is the story I tell myself about what will happen if I don't do it. The story I tell myself about what will happen if I'm not available. Mm. The story I tell myself about the kind of people that ask for help. Mm. So there's so much in that story. And, and I recently became very aware of that receiving is hard work. Mm. If you are by nature not a receiver because you're so independent um, and so capable. So receiving can be quite humbling. I've got another wondering from all of this, which is something around the nature that a lot of organizations have adopted, which is the kind of business model. So even, you know, I used to work for a local authority in London and even that, you know, we're a local authority, we're one organization, but each department sort of took on like a seeing themselves as an independent business so there was this customer service attitude between them mm -hmm. so you know instead of you know accounts asking the legal team for advice on something it was okay there was the kind of customer service approach between them they were seen as customers so there was the kind of how can I how can I help you kind of you know attitude rather than okay god I'm stretched the more frank conversations one might would have if you're in part of the same team mm. And I think that model of viewing one another as customers within one organization is becoming pretty prevalent. I think that adds to the pressure as well with some of these inter-team communications, particularly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, I think in a way, that's how organizations fail. Mm. <laughs> it's by thinking that they've always got to be, like have this customer mindset well, someone is always the customer and someone is always the provider. Mm. And th those are ongoing loops in organizations and being able to pay attention to when am I the customer and when is it appropriate for me to be the customer? Mm. And when am I the provider and when is it appropriate for me to be the provider? Would go a long way for organizations actually really taking better care of their reputation. Because that ongoing customer mindset can actually have people being overwhelmed, very busy and not able to honor their commitments. And the great old myth about the customer is always right. Yes. No, they're not. Yeah, yeah. 
-hmm. Where do we go with this conversation then? We've, we've done a lot of thinking about it, but what's the, how do we design the life that we want? How do we become architects of our own future? What needs to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, I think my response to that question is that I need to know what I can and can't do. Because if, if I'm not clear, I won't be clear around what, how, what, what do I want to design? You know, if you're going to build a house, you've got to have a plan. So if I'm not clear about the plan um, and haven't written a few things down for the sake of simplicity, what do I want and how will I get what I want? If I'm not clear about that, the first person that asks me to do something, I'm just going to say yes. Because I don't have anything to check it by. Yeah. A frame of reference, as we say. So I think it's, it has to start with me. And this is one of the cases that as coaches, we need to model this. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I was chuckling because I, I don't know if you realized, but my internet connection was stable and I paused. So there wasn't anything I could do. <laughs> and I was like, I that's perfect, perfect timing. <laughs> I heard, I heard a strange gurgling noise somewhere, but I think that was a kind of a weird internet <laughs> bubble. Well, whatever was gurgling for you, I was pausing. Okay. <laughs> Which was fantastic. And it, um, the, as I say, the timing couldn't have been um, more perfect. And with what you're saying, Sharon, I think a, a question that we can live in, literally live in, is what is it that matters deeply to me? Mm. And that question will change over time. And for me, it's almost how do I help myself and how do I help my the people I work with um, and help my as a, my, our family think about our, what's that inner compass? Because if we can have an inner compass, then we can start to consider what it is we say yes to, what it is we say no to, whose life are we living? And it's not that it's not about living a perfect life. It's about being able to course correct and adjust as we go. Um, you know, and Sharon, what you were saying, like, okay, so after a few months taking a break, like I've, I've got to the stage where I've, I've realized I'm back to that always on. Okay, let me take a break and have a little bit of a reset. Mm -hmm. And then also taking care of our body in that. So um, I don't know how much you know, Mary Anna, but I'm very big into working with the body and, that pausing, that taking time to pause and resettle our nervous system. Mm. Um, and it can be in a meditation kind of thing. It can just be in a, I'm going to stop and wait. Um, so I think those are all things and they're all, they're easy. They're not necessarily simple for all of us. <laughs> Coach, doesn't matter what you, your title is. One of the very simple things that I've done is turn off the sound notifications on my phone. Beautiful. because I noticed a I noticed an adrenaline shot every time I heard that ping it was that kind of mm. and at least by turning off the notifications I choose when I check my phone mm. somehow I'm you know and I do check it a lot 
but it's it feels a little bit like I'm more in control and I don't get that surge I don't feel my heart change you know um, that feeling because the sky isn't going to fall in <laughs> yeah yeah yes um, <laughs> yeah and I, th I think the other thing we spoke about last week is recognizing that as much as we can live in kind of the the drift of life kind of going down that river and it can work for us for a time we can also choose when to find the shore we can be deliberate mm. uh, and that's part of thinking about how am I using language am I employing it or is it employing me what is it that I want to design for my future um that matches the inner compass. And I think that we, in a way, we're not taught that either. We can be deliberate in designing and being the architect of our own lives. We don't have to be caught in how we're socialized, even how the organization says it runs, because mm. we're part of the organization. I love that. <laughs> It takes me to a very kind of Gaian view of the world that actually, you know, we're not separate businesses. We're mm -hmm. here in it together. Yeah. What else do we need to think of to close our conversation today? Yeah. Well, you know what, Mariana, I'm going to uh, switch gears a little bit and I'd love to ask you. So this is what I've realized is so many people are busy trying to speak and reload rather than listen and so I would I would love to hear from you what you what are some of your closing thoughts and then I'm happy to offer a few of my own one of the key things is I think we do have a role as coaches in modeling it I'm not very good at it um, I think it's because I have got too much happening not just work stuff but other stuff as well in my life so that I, you know, my hear my little girl say to me, can we just watch this film without phones, mummy? And that's a bit of a red flag for me. And I'm like, actually, I'm marketing for my business right now. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of constantly, um, I've sort of just, my self-talk is that allows me to do other stuff with her that I wouldn't always, to meet her off the school bus, for example, which I wouldn't always be able to do. But I think if that is a bit of me rationalising it. I had an interesting response to a big project that, was going to involve an awful lot of work and has been deliberately delayed till the new year which was a a massive relief that I could not work crazy hours for a while b a wondering whether it will ever actually happen because I don't really have the energy to create it um, and then uh well actually is that the end of the will the sky fall in if I don't do it and the answer is no actually I think my expectations about things had gone higher and higher and higher and actually let it go doesn't really matter so that's probably my closing thought to work out what matters for you um what you want to hold on to and what you want to let go yeah yeah thank you um and i think for me i said this to my son uh some time ago we make our habits and then our habits make us mm. So to what you were sharing about the phone, um, and and it's it's an ongoing inquiry for me. Is you know um, what are the habits? What are the things I'm engaging in? And and particularly, what am I not saying no to? 
And the other thing um, is what offers am I making that I don't want to make? Mm. That I, I, thought I have habitually made all my life. Um, and I've, I'm slowly, slowly reclaiming parts of my life um, in not making offers. And also not being so overly concerned about what other people think about me. That's, those are their thoughts. They get to have them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's none yeah. of our business, actually, is it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and these kinds of conversations, I think, are wonderful at facing back in to mm. some of the, the things that I've uh, maybe rationalized or said are okay that, that really aren't. Mm. So I'm very grateful for the conversation. And so am I. Mm. And I think on that note, we will stop the live stream and okay. see you on the other side. <laughs> cool. Thank you for listening. To continue this conversation, join the Coaching Presence Facebook group. If you enjoy being part of that uplifting community, do tell others. You can find out more about me at mariannawright.com.